All right. So I'm glad you're here this morning, especially because we get to start a new— First of all, I haven't preached, and, and you know it's been four weeks, right? I, I, and then there were three other weeks, and so this is the fourth week since I've been up here. So I hope that you're ready to be here a long time. Because, like, seriously, no joke. I got stuff to say. Plus, we launch our new series today. And so today we're talking, uh, we're, we're getting into our series on marriage. Uh, it's called For Better or For Worse, and we're going to be walking through this. Uh, and the question that I've heard, and, and I'm sure we'll continue to hear from some folks, or uh, some of you are too polite to ask it, is why? Why do we have to talk about this? Why do we have to do this? Either I'm not married, um, I don't plan on being married, my marriage is awesome, um, I'm widowed and this isn't going to apply to me, or whatever the case might be. And I know there are a lot of those questions, but here's what I'm going to tell you. The Word of God will never return void. Right? So wherever you're at, the Word of God matters. And so as we dig into this, I promise you there is something here for you to understand what God has for us. Two, it's not going to surprise you, I hope, that in our body, marriages are struggling in the body of Christ, even here at Blessed Hope Community Church, marriages are in peril, right? And, and that shouldn't surprise you, and we'll dig into this as we really get going. But the reason is your marriage, if you're married, is war. Like, and some of you are like, oh, I know. And some of you are like, I have no idea. Listen, marriage is war because marriage is ordained by God for the purposes of God. And we're going to get into that today. And because it's ordained by God for the purposes of God, it is going to be directly opposed by the enemy of your soul. Right? And so this matters. Satan himself is going to be actively working to undermine marriages. So whether you're married or not, that matters. Right? Because when Satan is trying to do is trying to usurp God's plan for marriage and the church and his kingdom and the witness and our evangelism, Satan is actively at work trying to destroy what God has said is good and right. And so it's important for us to really dig in here together because you know what? Marriage is war. The thing that we sometimes forget thing that we don't understand is that in marriage, though, even though it's war, we're on the same side, right? We're together, and, and that matters. And so we're going to keep going in this, and I want to tell you, just full disclosure, for those of you that don't know me well, I'm Matt, by the way. Um, Carrie and I have been married about 18 years, uh, 18 and a half. It'll be 19 in October, and no, I didn't have to do the math before we started today. Because I know. Sometimes I don't know how old I am, but I know how long we've been married. And here's the thing. Sometimes it has been awesome. Sometimes it's been great. Sometimes it's been good. Sometimes it's been all right. Sometimes it's been really hard. I want to just give that to you now because I don't want you, as we get into this series, I don't want you to be up here assuming that I am wearing rose-colored glasses and peddling rainbows and sunshine at you and just acting like it's easy and you should figure it out. Because I know it's not easy. I know it's difficult, right? But I know it matters. So, 
Let's dig in here. And, and it's not a surprise to you. Helps if I turn it on. It's not a surprise to you that the church is losing the war on marriage. Now, can I be really clear about this? The church will not lose the war on marriage because marriage has been ordained by God and as, an, as a body, the church, God will ultimately have his way. But if we just stop and take snapshots, what it looks like is it looks like the church is kind of losing this battle. Right? Now, I'm sure you've heard... Um, all of, of, of the pundits in the research and all of these things tell you that, that divorce rates inside the church are actually no different than divorce rates outside of the church. That's actually wrong, right? If, if we drill down on the research, what we'll find out is that divorce rates among people that self-identify as Christian are no different than divorce rates of people that don't identify as Christian, right? So that's what, that's what we hear. The difference is this. There are a lot of people that identify as Christian that just aren't, right? There are a lot of people who would say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they don't do anything Christian. They don't know about a personal relationship with Jesus. They've maybe grown up in the church or they have a cursory connection with the church, but, but they've never given themselves to Jesus. They're not Christians. They don't actively attend church. So here's what we know. The good research will tell us this. While people that identify as Christians and people that identify as nuns have similar divorce rates, people that are actively a part of a body of Christ, people that are actively a part, they show up, they're engaged in their church. People that are engaged in their church and they show up, divorce rates are significantly lower for them than they are for the rest of the world. Right? Because being a part of the body of Christ matters in this. Right? And there's something about that because we know when we read through God's word, we know what God's word has to says. To, has to says. It's been a month. We know what God's word has to say about these things. Right? And, and we know that marriage is important. And we know that God does not condone, except on very specific circumstances, divorce. And I want to go ahead and, and I want to pause right here. And so if you're with us this morning and you are divorced or you've been through divorce, um, listen, we're not mad at you. We're not mad at you. God's not mad at you. Right? There is grace to cover that. But I want to be really clear as we start, because some of you, um, either in this room or will be here next, um, next service or um, watching online, some people will decide, right, that, or some people have already decided that there's not a lot of hope for their marriage. There are, there are people that will listen to this, I'm, I'm quite certain, that are on the brink of divorce, there are people that will listen to this that are living separated, potentially, that, that aren't sure whether or not there's any hope for their marriage. Or maybe they've decided that they're just going to muddle through and that's going to be the way that it's going to be because they know they shouldn't get divorced, but they just don't have any hope for what's going to happen. Listen, I get that. And I just want to tell you, look, if that's where you are, right? One, there's hope. And two, the grace of God is rich and abundant and full, right? So, so let's engage here and see. But, but we are... We are we do a disservice when it comes to marriage in the church because as soon as we start talking about the war on marriage, we automatically start to think about this cultural thing that's happening. We automatically start to think about that 
the culture we live in wants to redefine marriage. And we get really stuck on, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's good for us to, it's good for us to affirm what the Bible has to say about biblical marriage, right? But we get really stuck on, what's the homosexual agenda? We get really stuck on, on uh, who should be allowed to be married and what's the church's role in that and how that works. And, and, and listen, all of that matters and we can have serious conversation about that. But when I say, listen, marriage is in trouble in the church, what I'm asking us to do, at least for now, is to stop focusing on everybody else and to start looking at ourselves. Because marriages are in trouble in church because sometimes we're not taking them seriously enough. Marriages are in trouble because we are not taking our wedding vows personally seriously enough. Marriages are in trouble because we're not taking our call to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling seriously enough. Marriages can be in trouble in the church because we're not taking our call to pray for those and to intercede for those that are having difficulty seriously enough. I want to encourage us as we get into this that, yes, marriages in the church are struggling this church, every church, right? But that's not something other people are doing to us. Something that the people of God need to take seriously, our responsibility to one another and what this looks like. And so all of that being said, we're going to jump right in here. And and one of the things we're going to do is we're going to start, if you've got your Bible handy, we'll have some of it on the screen, but if you've got your Bible handy, just flip to Genesis 1. It is really difficult to start a series on marriage without starting in Genesis, okay? And the reason for that is because here's what we know. Marriage was God's idea. Marriage was God's idea. And there are going to be three, um, three purposes that we're going to ferret out here in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. We're going to walk through these, and these will set the stage for what we do the rest of the series, okay? But it starts in Genesis 1, 27, 28. Most of it's up there. You know what's funny? Listen, I used this marker to mark Genesis 1. That may be the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. Duh, Matt, it's in the beginning. Anyway, (laughs) I got nothing. Genesis 1, 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So this is, this is what happens here in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, is we get this thing called the cultural mandate. God has created Adam, right? Um, and he's created Eve. And so uh, when we get to Genesis 2, that's going to kind of be a flashback of sorts, right? But at the end of Genesis 1, God has given us this overview of the creation story. And it ends with him creating humanity. So God says, um, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so there's a couple of things that we need to drill down on here. One is marriage is God's idea. In Genesis 1, God doesn't just create the physical world that we live in. But in Genesis 1, God creates the culture that we step into as well. 
It's this cultural mandate of subdue the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern the earth, subdue the earth. I want you, this is God telling Adam and Eve, I want you to conquer the earth. Right? I want you to make this yours. I want you to govern my creation. Right? And so there's this call for Adam and Eve to step into that, right? There's this and in this, he creates this construct of marriage. Marriage is God's idea. The getting together of Adam and Eve was not Adam and Eve's idea. They weren't bored. They weren't just walking around the garden one day going, man, I like the way you look. Let's get together. I'm interested in you. Would you like to be on a date? You know, I mean, go back to your fourth grade, right? Would you like to go out? If so, check this box. Listen, who wrote one of those notes? Don't lie. Thank you, because I wrote one of those notes. It was last week. It wasn't last week. But no, I mean, it happens. I should, next time I want to go out with Carrie, that's how I'll do it. Leave it on her desk at work. Would you like to have dinner with me? Check this box. <laughs> I got nothing. Anyway, so, so here's the thing. It's not a random thing that Adam and Eve get together. God ordains it. In fact, we're going to see in Genesis 2, he creates that on purpose. But his purpose is, one of the purposes in marriage, right, is that we mirror God's image. And you'll notice, you go back, here's what it says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so there's this thing that we understand. The language gets weird, but there's this thing that we understand here. It's that male and female together most fully give us the image of God. Right? Now, individually... You make up the image of God. You are made in God's image individually. But when we have husband and wife together, male and female together, that coupling most closely mirrors the image of God. Male and female, he created them in his image. Marriage is meant to, to mirror God's image. And so God does something in the garden. He creates this intimacy. He creates this connection and this relationship. And right away, he tells us that, that it's better when we're together, right? And it's not better when we're together because, well, we just have more people to talk to and it's more fun or whatever, but it's better together because we most closely represent the image of God when we're together. And it's God's concern that we be one. It's God's concern that we be unified in marriage, that we be one in marriage, Right? And we know this because being made in God's image means that we are unified because God Himself is one holy God in three distinct persons. Here's the way He says that. Jesus says this in John 17. Uh, He says, I've given, He's talking about the disciples here, but He says, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as you and I are one, as we are one. This is Jesus talking to His heavenly Father, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, he's like, I've given them the glory you gave me because I want them to be unified just like we are. Right? God is this unified trio. This triumphant, this this trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's image is most closely 
closely reflected in our oneness in marriage. This is, this is the way this works. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, but Matt, that's weird because I don't want to get married. Right? So if I don't want to get married, and I'm, I guess some of you are already married, but I'm talking to those of you that aren't, um, and you're like, I, I have no desire to be married. That's not in my wheelhouse. Something I've ever wanted. It's not something that I've ever thought I wanted. So what is this? Am I going to be less than because I don't want to be married? Listen, nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying you're doing it wrong if you choose not to be married. Nobody's saying there's something wrong with you that you don't want to be married. In fact, Paul says, um, Paul says in, in Corinthians that he wishes that more people were like him, not married. And the reason for that is because then their attention isn't split, right? But that they can focus wholly on the ministry that God puts in front of them, right? If you don't want to be married, there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is that we most closely reflect God's image when we are unified. And that's as a husband and a wife. We keep going. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then he says this. Okay. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So there's, there's another thing that we need to know here. So listen, parents that have kids here, sorry. Um, I'm going to say it. It's the S word. Okay? That marriage is the divine context for sex. Right? This is, this is something that we need to understand too. Is that marriage is the— I know I'm going to say it again. They're like, oh man, that was terrible. I got kids covering their eyes. Right? Marriage is the divine context for sex. Sex isn't an accident. It's something that God ordained. Right? It's something good, right? But it's something that's good in the appropriate confines. So listen, young ones, you heard me say sex, so make sure you hear this next part. Sex is best when it's enjoyed the way that God created it, which is within the confines of a marriage. God has ordained sex to be part of a healthy marriage. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good, right? Because it's part of the divine context for having children. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Like this is, this is a command that God is giving Adam and Eve. He's saying, look, I want you to conquer the world. I want you to spread out. I want you to, to subdue it. I want you to rule my creation. Right? And as part of that, I'm giving you one another because together you are really portraying my image. And together, right, is the context for you to have a godly legacy to have children, and for those children uh, to 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 be divine image bearers of God, and so we see that what God's asking Adam and Eve to do in in one of the purposes for marriage is to provide this legacy that just goes from generation to generation. It's part of the call to spread out and subdue and conquer the earth. Listen, this gets wonky here though, because we know there are a lot of children that are not born in this context. And it's not their doing, but when children are born in this context, it makes it more difficult. It makes it much more difficult for us to continue to push a godly legacy. There are children born um, all of the time in families that are not one. 
with husbands and wives that are not unified. Sometimes in families where there, there isn't even necessarily a connection uh, between a husband and a wife or between a mom and a dad. And this makes it difficult for this godly legacy to move on. This is one of the reasons, church, where we have work to do. It's one of the reasons why we need to be careful that we never compromise this idea that relationships, sex, outside of the context of a godly marriage is never a good idea. And I know that we've got people that call Blessed Hope home. I, is anybody else really hot? Is that just me? Philip, can we, like, just fix it? Thanks, buddy. Man, I think this is bad. Listen, in a couple of weeks, and I know, listen, I know because our children's programming is, won't be up and running yet because we're still kind of towing the line on, on virus issues and um, things like that. But in a couple of weeks, we actually are going to be spending the majority of our time talking about what sex and marriage is like and, and what God calls that to be. So just heads up. Um, just know that's coming. Um, again, all very appropriate in the context of what God gives us, but but uh, you think you're going to have questions to answer today. You'll have questions to answer then for sure. But here's the thing. As a church, we have people that call Blessed Hope home that decide that this is one of those commands that can be picked and, and, and chosen however they want. That sex outside of marriage is no big deal. As long as, 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 long as I'm careful... So I know I won't get pregnant. It's a conversation I've had. As long as I'm careful and I know I won't get pregnant, then, then it's not going to be problematic. Another one is, is well, we, we, we know that we're going to end up together anyway, even though we're not married now. We know we're going to end up together. So what's the problem? Why can't we just go ahead and, and enjoy this? And, and the reality is, is, is simply that because it's outside the confines of what God has said. And if you know you're going to end up together, then listen, be patient. If you know you're going to end up together, then I have an idea. Make it official, right? If you know that this is where your heart is and this is the person that God has for you, then guess what? Get married. And so this is a call and an invitation I have. And, you know, it, I don't think any of you were in the room right now. And that would be really awkward if you were, because I'm not talking to you. I've got multiple um, folks that, that fit this bill. But listen, this is the encouragement that I've always given. It's like, look, if, if you are with somebody and you are living together and you're not married and you're not sure that marriage is in your future, then you know what? Come talk to me and we will help you find a place to live. I'm not saying you have to sever your relationship. But honestly, we'll help you find a place to live, right? It is difficult to ask God to honor a relationship when you are in a relationship that dishonors God and you're doing it on purpose, right? So let's have that conversation. We will help you walk in purity. We will help you pursue righteousness with your relationship. We'll help you find a place to be. And if you are living together and you are confident that marriage is in your future, then you know what? Let's have that conversation. Let's figure out what's keeping you from getting married. And let's, let's do that so that we can walk forward in marriage and, and, and be holy in that way. This matters, right? But marriage is the context that God gives us to, to procreate, right? To have this oneness, to clearly reflect his image, and so that we can have a godly legacy that works when we take God seriously. And it matters because 
your marriage paints this great picture of something that God is doing. This is what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, and we'll dig in on this a whole lot more next week. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. That's what it says. This is a great mystery. It's a grand mystery, marriage. Marriage is this phenomenal mystery. Nobody can figure it out. I mean, that's not true. Like, a lot of you have figured it out. A lot of you are nailing it, right? But it's this great mystery. But the reason that God has done this is because it's supposed to paint a picture. It's an illustration of the way that Christ loves the church and that Christ and the church are unified. Listen to me. It matters that we do it right because it's not just about me. It matters that Carrie and I have a marriage that honors God because it's not just about Carrie and I and our kids. It's about Jesus and the way we represent him. It's about the kingdom of God and what we have to say about it. See, this is the problem. Remember I said in the church, we're we're actually doing better on marriage. People that are regularly connected to the church are doing better on marriage than, than people that are not connected to the church. But that also can be problematic because what that means is a lot of times we have people in the church that are holding on tooth and nail because they know they're supposed to, because they know they have to, not because they are one, Not because they're painting a godly picture or pressing a godly legacy into the future, but because they're just trying to hold on because they know that's what God wants them to do. And so they've settled for this less than marriage. And listen, that doesn't tell us anything about this great mystery and the illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Right? But if we really are going to understand our role as husband and wife, as families, as married people, we have to understand that the way we are together, that paints a picture of the way that Christ is the head of the church. It paints a picture of the way that God loves the church. This is why it has to be permanent. This is why, this is why God, except under very few circumstances, this is why God does not tolerate divorce. Right? Because our marriage is a picture of the way that Christ and the church are one. And the way that Christ and the church are one, that is permanent. There is nothing that could ever happen that will rend Christ away from the church. There is nothing that can ever happen that will cause Christ to say, you know what? I'm done with them. I'm fed up with them. They won't listen. They never respond. I'm just finished. Christ will never be finished with his church. And so our marriages, listen, we need to strive for oneness and unity. We keep going. The thing is, it's more than this, right? It's not just that we're together and it paints a picture of God and we're together so that we can have kids and teach them about Jesus. Um, It's marriage is actually, the third purpose here is, is for your benefit. It's supposed to help you, right? Here's what, here's what happens in Genesis 2, right? We said that Genesis 1 is kind of this um, framework of creation. Genesis 2 goes backwards a little bit to tell us a little bit more about it. And, and so here's what happens. He's creating, and, and God says this, Genesis 2.18. Hey, listen, it's not good for the man to be alone. This is the first time he said it's not good. This doesn't catch him by surprise. This isn't a mistake. He's not like evaluating his day's work going, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. Ooh, something went wrong here, right? He, he's, he's 
showing us something here. Uh, and, and so he's creating, and at the end of every day, it's good. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's really good. Man, giving himself a pat on the back. Good job today, Yahweh. You just, you nailed it, right? And then, ooh, man, something went wrong with Adam. It's not how it worked, right? He's creating, and, he's, and he's, he's setting this up. So he creates Adam, and then he says this. Look, it's not good for him to be alone. Right? It's not good for him to be alone. And here's the thing. He's actually not alone, right? This is well before sin has entered the world. Adam is a perfect creation of God who is walking in perfect harmony with God. Adam has everything he needs, you would think. He walks with God in the cool of the day. When he wants to commune with his creator, this, this thing that we long for in this world because it's broken and jacked up and messy and we long to have this relationship with the God of heaven and sometimes we don't even know that's what we're longing for, but it's what we desire. Listen, Adam had it. He wasn't alone, but there was still something not there. And God's the one that identifies it. God says, look, it's not good for him to be alone. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make him a helper that is just right for him. I want to be clear here. That word for helper is not like word for, for like assistant. That word for helper is not the word we would use for like, um, you, you know, like an assistant manager. Right? Uh, we were talking about the office this morning. I know some of you love the office. I don't really like the office, but I watch it a lot at my house because Aubrey and Travis love the office. This word for helper is not Dwight Schrute, right? Some of you feel like that might be the case, right? But this word for helper is actually the same word that God uses for himself. When God talks about himself in connection with his nation Israel, this is the word he uses. He says, I am a helper for Israel. God puts himself in this position. So when he says he's, he, th- that it's not right for man to be alone, and God says, so I'm going to make a helper that's just right for him, he's not saying I'm going to make him an underling and an assistant. What he's saying is I'm going to make him somebody that will, that will fulfill him, somebody that will complete him, right? Like with all due respect to Jerry Maguire, right? This whole, like, like this person that will complete me. I'm going to make him this helper that will satisfy his soul to a degree, right? And so here's what he does. Well, let me, let me just say this, right? Like marriage is meant to provide companionship. Like we talk about marriage and unfortunately in the church, most of the time we talk about marriage, we talk about how you need to suck it up and stick it out. Honestly, that's, that's what we typically are talking about. Because when we talk about marriage, we're talking about the fact that marriage is God's idea and, and that divorce is, is not something that God wants and that we need to be faithful in marriage and we need to do these things in marriage. And the message is suck it up and stick it out, right? But there's something that we lose when we don't understand this creation story and that that is marriage is meant to provide something awesome. It's meant to provide that helper that's just perfect for one another. That companionship. Marriage is meant to be good and that it provides you that person that makes your life better. Marriage is meant to provide you a companion that when you are together, that that it just makes things easier. And I know some of you are thinking, but Matt, that's not how it works in my house. And I get it. I, I mean, I really do. But that's not because God didn't plan it well. It's because we're not executing it well. 
right? But God's intention for this is so ridiculously clear. Think about it. It's, it's like um, stainless steel. You know stainless steel, right? How many of you got a fridge or an oven or something that's stainless steel in your house, right? Stainless steel is not something that just naturally exists. What stainless steel does is it, is it takes two things that are nice but are flawed. You get iron ore, right? Iron ore, which is strong but rusts like crazy, becomes worthless pretty soon, and, and takes chromide, which is flimsy and, and can't hold up and is brittle. But at the right mixture and at the right process of bringing them together, we create something that is so significantly better together than they ever were individually, right? They were okay individually, but when you bring them together, you get stainless steel, right? It's durable. It holds up under pressure and heat. It, it, it doesn't rust. It doesn't erode. That's what God wants to do with your marriage. He wants to make you better together than you were separately. Companionship that trumps your isolation. And I know some of you in marriage are feeling isolated, and that's just not God's design. It's, it's good that you're just muddling through and that you're not giving up. But guys, it's supposed to be better than that. It's supposed to be soul-satisfying. It's supposed to be fulfilling. Because your oneness trumps your isolation. This is why we have to be really careful that we're not flippant when we have conversations with people or about folks that are same-sex attracted. Like, we know God's call for, for um, righteousness and how we're supposed to live. And, and, and I, I am one that has said, look, you know, it's not sinful to be attracted to someone of the same sex. It's sinful to act on it. When you struggle with same-sex attraction, that, I, I, I get it, that happens. And, and, and that's not sinful to struggle with that desire, right? It's not sinful to struggle with a temptation. It's not sinful to struggle with a desire to drink more than you're supposed to. It's sinful to act on it. We want to overcome it. Right? But, but oftentimes our flippant answer for people that struggle with same-sex attraction is just be single. And that's the answer. There's no other answer. Right? Because we're never going to say, hey, it's okay to engage in a relationship that, that God says no to. But guys, we've got to be gentle. And we've got to be gracious. And, and we've got to walk alongside people. And we've got to recognize that when our answer is then just be single— our answer is that you're missing out on this God-ordained thing that was supposed to provide you companionship and help you in your isolation. There's not a better answer. This is a broken, fallen world, and that's a sin issue that we can't compromise on. So the answer is celibacy and singleness, right? And unless God will bring healing, which we hope and pray for in, in those instances, unless God will bring that, the answer is celibacy and singleness. But we need to walk with people in that graciously and carefully and gently and lovingly, not flippantly, because, because what we're saying is you're going to miss out on this thing that God has ordained. And because God's worth it, that's worth it. But it's hard. We've got to be real careful. 
right? But marriage is meant to provide companionship. So, so this is the way it works, right? Like, like God does this in such a, such a cool way because he says it's not good for this guy to be alone. So he doesn't just go make Eve, but what he does is he says, oh, Adam, you stay here and I'm going to have you name all of the other animals. And so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one, right? You know the story, right? He sits there. First, it's the ant. And, you know, Adam's like, I don't know, it looks like an ant. Next is this weird-looking thing. And Adam's like, what am I going to call that? It looks like Cubert, But Cubert hadn't been invented yet, so he doesn't know. Next thing you know, it eats the ant. And he's like, aha, I got it. That's an anteater. It's a terrible joke. I don't think that's how that works. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He names all of them. He names them all. But he notices a pattern here pretty quick, right? Because the man... Um, the man chose a name for each one, but still there was no helper just right for him. So there's something that he's seeing, right? As God's parading these animals in front of him, they're coming, and there's two of them. There's a, there's a male and there's a female, and they're, and, and they're walking in front of him, and he's naming them, and he's noticing, look, they've all got a partner. They've all got someone. And he knows he does not. And so as, he, as he's doing this, God is showing him that, you know what? They're, they're, you're missing something. And then God does this. God causes him to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, right, and this isn't mythology, is it weird? Yes. Can we just acknowledge that the Bible is weird sometimes? Look, it is. I get it. Some of you that didn't grow up in the church, you're like, Matt, you can't actually believe this literally happened. Look, yes, I can. Because I believe that it did. I have faith in the word of God and it has never proved to be um, inaccurate. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And I want you to, to see something here. When God created man, he formed man out of dust dust of the earth, and he breathed life into him. And it was this ridiculously intimate experience. And so we wonder, why doesn't he do that with the woman? Because he's showing us something. He's showing us something about the oneness of a husband and wife. He's showing us something about the intimate connection that they're supposed to have. He's showing us something about how the two of them together most accurately reflect the image of God. Again, it's not a quality statement. It's not a less than statement, right? But it, it's this infinite value, but he's showing us this oneness. And so he brings her to the man, and here's what he says. At last, at last, the man exclaimed. Go ahead, Philip. This is what it sounds like. I'm sure this is what it sounded like.
over. I know some of you are like, is he going to play the whole song? He's not. He's not. But this is what it's like. He's like, at last, at last, this one, right? I, I, all the other ones were paraded in front of me. All of the rest of God's creation came in front of me, and I saw there was a male, there was a female, and I named them. And, and, and I reveled in the work that God gave me, but there was a longing in me that said, none of them are right for me. But at last, this one, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. This one is just right. This one is something that is meant to satisfy me. This one is something that is meant to be unified. This, this one. And he says, so she'll be called woman because she was taken from man. Again, not a value judgment, not a hierarchical statement, just a matter of fact. This one is just right. She, this explains, he says, why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united to one because it's just right. My word of advice also for you young folks, don't settle. Don't settle. I know that, that sometimes you're lonely. Um, my word of advice for you divorced folks because this happens and I tell you what, Again, we'll talk about divorce later in the series too, but this happens. Somebody gets divorced, and, and, and sometimes it's right that a divorce happens. It's never God's intention, but sometimes we're left with very little option, right? When we're abandoned or um, because of things that God says, for these reasons you can be divorced. We'll dig into those later, but, but people that are divorced, you know what? Satan sucks. Satan sucks. And so you know what he does as soon as you get divorced? He starts parading in front of you Men that seem like a good idea or women that seem like a good idea so that, you know what, because of our loneliness, because of our loss, we decide, you know what, we have to hurry up and make up for lost time. We have to recapture what we've lost. And what happens is that, that we, end up, um, we end up settling for something that wasn't God's idea. You've got to be real careful about that. But this explains, this connection explains why a man will leave his father and mother and is joined together with his wife, and the two are united to one. Listen, I just want to tell you this. If that at last feeling isn't yours, then you're missing out on what God intended, and it's time to get to work. And I don't say that tritely. I don't say it flippantly. I don't, I don't say it um, in a way that, that's meant to... Um, to shame you, and I don't say it in a way that's meant to, to say, oh, it's pretty simple. You can figure it out. Listen, it's hard. It's hard. But God intends for your marriage to be something that is satisfying to your soul and something that paints a glorious picture of the way that he loves the church. That's what he intends. All right, we're going we're gonna to wrap up here, and I just want to say this as we go. Um, we're going to get into more of that next week as we start talking about some of the things that God commands within a marriage, right? So we'll be in Ephesians 5 next week, but, but I just want to say this. Your marriage is simpler when you understand that you are at war. Um, listen, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places.
when your marriage is struggling, I mean, this is true for any, um, this is just true about life, right? We don't struggle against people, flesh and blood. We struggle against the enemy of our souls and those that, that he directs. But when it comes to your marriage, especially, when you have trouble, when you're trying to overcome things, I want you to remember that you're not fighting your spouse. When I'm being dumb in my marriage, which has happened like twice, times 8,000. When I'm being dumb in my marriage, I, I pray that Carrie will remember that she's not fighting me. Not, not my flesh and blood, but, but evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. When you and your spouse are struggling, right, or you're struggling to be faithful in your marriage, or you're struggling, um, you're, you're struggling to be holy outside of marriage and to pursue purity when you're struggling, I want you to remember what you're struggling against. You're not struggling against what God has ordained. You're struggling against the one that wants to ruin what God has ordained. Okay? So as we move forward, here's what I want you to do. Decide. Decide that you want it to be better. And you might be thinking, but Matt, I don't think it can be better. I didn't ask you to decide if you think it could be better. I asked you to decide if you want it to be better. Not do you think it can, but decide that you want it to be better. Also, I want you to decide that your spouse is worth it. For some of you, that's going to take a minute. Decide that they're worth it. They are made in the image of God. They're bone from your bone and flesh from your flesh. At last, this one is just for me. Decide that they're worth it. Even if, even if you haven't felt that for a while, make the decision. Decide that God knows what he's doing. When God calls us to marriage and he calls us to holiness in marriage and he, and he calls us to longevity in marriage and he says that your marriage matters because it's a picture, um, not just for your happiness, but it's a picture for how Christ loves the church, decide that he knows what he's doing. Too many of us have decided that God was wrong, right? God was wrong when he said we shouldn't divorce because that one looks better than the one I have. God wasn't wrong. Decide that God knows what he's doing and then decide that you'll do what it takes. You're like, but Matt, I don't know what it'll take. I know, that's why you decide first. We'll talk later about what it'll take. We'll talk later about what it will take. But you decide now, commit now that you're willing to do what it takes to pursue a godly marriage and then we'll talk about what that looks like. But there's no hedging of bets. We're gonna end there. I'm just gonna ask you to ponder those things and some of you are thinking, but Matt, my marriage is fine. Great. Then decide that you want it to be better. It can always be better. Decide that your spouse is worth it. If your, if your marriage is great, then, then you got no problem saying my spouse is worth everything I got. Right? If things are, are sailing smooth, then you got no issue saying, hey, God knows what he's doing. And I'll do what it takes to make it as good as it can be and to paint a picture that the watching world can't help but reckon with about the way Christ loves the church. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We just thank you for who you are. Thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you for the institution of marriage. Father, we understand that, that in a broken, sinful world, that it is not easy, that it's difficult, and that it's a struggle at times. But Father, we understand 
clearly from your word that you have given us marriage for our benefit to reflect your oneness and more clearly to reflect your image, to provide companionship and to provide a way to, to, to bring a godly legacy into this world. Father, we love you. We praise you. We just thank you so much. Amen.